This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 205 and I'm talking with the wonderful Dr. Brett Hill uh, down in the Adelaide Hills on resilience in the face of life's challenges. And we twist and turn through personal journey uh, to get there, uh, but I think talking about hardship uh, with uh, without the rose-coloured glasses and really having a look at the things that help move the needle for people uh, at these times, especially um, someone like Brett who is well-versed in health and wellness. Uh, he, um, he's been a chiropractor in his professional life uh, since the get-go really and uh, he has studied nutrition. He also now studies counselling, which I'm thrilled to hear because that fits beautifully with his new mentoring circles around resilience that he's offering people, um, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and he has written a self-published book called Rock Bottom. So today we're going to hear about Brett's journey into a, an extremely surprising and unexpected divorce, how that affected him, uh, what tools he brought to the party to use, uh, and, you know, some of the things that I thought would have helped. And we talk about this and he goes, no, <laughs> you don't want to do that. And I was like, wow, it was just so, and this is why we need to have these conversations and why we need to listen to what helps others rather than what we think will help them and give people space to just speak. Uh, and, uh, Brett does a wonderful job of not only talking about his own personal uh, navigation through that time and into a much better time, uh, and using it as a, a springboard, if you like, for personal growth and actually improving life, uh, if we get that foundational piece right and the mindset right, um, once we've done our grieving, which is, of course, understandable as well uh, and important, uh, how we can then uh, move forward and what actually resilience is and what uh, control is and uh, what the flexibility uh, mentally looks like. Uh, we talk about some really great stuff, very valuable show, and I know you guys are going to love it. So as I mentioned, Brett is a chiropractor. Uh, he is from the Adelaide Hills and uh, he's very well known in uh, the health circles. You guys might know him from the Wellness Couch. I've been on Brett's podcast uh, and, of course, we now have this wonderful new book from Brett uh, and his mentoring circles, and I've popped all those details in the show notes for you guys. So as uh, you guys might know by now, if you listen week by week, we don't have a particular show supporter this month, so I'm using it to highlight some of my favorite Lotox uh, brands, products, places to shop, and I wanted to do a feature for you guys today on Nourished Life, uh, and I still remember being at a friend's kitchen table, having lunch, a uh, really beautiful casual lunch that we, a bunch of us used to have in the startup space just about 10 years ago now. And this lovely woman full of passion called Irene was there. And even though I had a different business that I was running at the time in luxury tastings because I was in hospitality before health and education and sustainability and uh, I hadn't quite figured out how to make this passion project into a business of its own yet. So I used to meet in this startup circle about my other business, the old one. And anyway, Irene was there and she had these hurrah lip glosses that she wanted to give everyone. She was starting to sell them off her blog and uh, she had these dreams of an incredible low-tox shopping space where people could feel confident in getting a great price but also 
uh, a great product without uh, tons of strange environmental toxins inside as so many mainstream products have been in the past and continue to be today, even though to a lesser extent because of the wonderful work people like you and I are doing to say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not fooling me. I'm not buying that stuff anymore. And uh, companies generally tend to not make what people won't buy. So go team. We are starting to create some crazy big change out there. Anyway, uh, Irene went on to found Australia's largest uh, low-tox online shopping uh, store. And uh, it's just been incredible to watch her journey uh, right through to selling it to a a larger company, but her insisting on staying on as the face of, as the MD, as someone who nurtures the Nourish Life community that she has poured so much of her personal passion into over the years. That wasn't something she wanted to let go of, obviously. And so um, I, I just find it such a joy when you see people take those risks and just put it all on the line. Uh, you know, she sold her house, she sold a car, she did everything to get that thing up and running. And uh, I, I, for one, am just so inspired by that. I think a lot of people um, might see that as uh, a cop out to sell one's business, but, you know, it's a huge pressure to run a business, especially a business that involves logistics and stock holdings. And, you know, 10 years is a pretty good innings. Uh, that's a huge commitment and service that she has provided. And I, I for one, am very proud of her. Uh, so Nourish Life is somewhere that I have shopped for years, ever since its inception, bought my first little horror lipstick, lip gloss rather, um, and I love that cherry lip gloss, it's divine. Um, it's more of a balm actually, um, very nourishing, uh, but of course there are a few things that I get on there uh, many years down the track. My absolute go-to must-have items are um, all written in the show notes. So there are about four products that I buy from there religiously and when they run out, I go back on, I grab them. Um, and you guys know me, I don't make everything myself. You would have seen in the Lotox book that I make a few things, um, but I actually love supporting Lotox brands as well because I think it helps us change the market by spreading our love across DIY and products. And you're fine to disagree. That's absolutely fine. I think we have to hold space for however we want to do good in the world. And I respect your choices uh, and I hope that you respect mine to, to buy a few things here and there. So, um, I've put all the links to the things that I buy, but I also wanted to mention a new one, um, which is the Manta sleep mask. And that's because we've been doing the sleep focused topic this month in the club. Maybe that's my heightened awareness of this particular product, but it is the most amazing sleep mask. And I didn't actually originally get this from Nourish Life. I got it on their very first Kickstarter campaign, the Manta, um, company over in the U S and um, and Nourish Life now sells a couple of different versions of their mask and they sell, this is what I want to talk about, this incredible cooling um, uh, pads that you can put inside the eye mask, uh, perfect for tension, for deep relaxation with quick results. Uh, and you just um, pop them inside for a bit of a treatment for sort of 10, 15 minutes. And they have warming ones as well, but I love the cooling ones. I tend to prefer that balance being in my mid-40s. <laughs> and I'm sure there are some women who know what I mean when I say that. Hello, perimenopause. Which, by the way, that show that I did with Carrie Jones on perimenopause last year is a must-listen if you're in your 40s or early 50s. Anywho, I digress. So um, I've put all of those links in uh, the show notes so that you guys can uh, check it out. And uh, I'd love to see if you're a Nourish Life shopper, maybe you can pop in the comments some of the products you really love from there. But I've put my top five. Uh, and I also have a, a big, a bigger list uh, that is on our shop page, which I've done a link to as well. So I'm not going to wait another second now to introduce you to the wonderful Dr. Brett Hill and this meaningful, meaningful, important conversation about resilience. Enjoy, guys. Hello, Brett. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I am super well. I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, You've been podcasting and inspiring people's wellness endeavours for a long time. Uh, Don't say how long. It'll reveal how long. No, no, I won't. We don't need to talk about that. And, um, and you're a chiropractor as well. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, where do we start? I think 
I would actually really like to start by asking you what motivated you to move into chiropractic because it's a bit left field uh, for the mainstream health conversation. And um, I'm always curious to see how people's uh, gaze kind of broadens to be out there to help them show up for their patients as best as possible. Yeah, well, it's a great question. And I think you almost hit the nail on the head when you said you're a bit curious, because I think curiosity um, was kind of just a trait I was born with. Like, I was always just really curious about everything. And so um, I think sort of growing up in this in our Western world, um, I was really curious about the way we approached health. Um, you know, and growing up, I wasn't I wasn't like horribly sick, but I wasn't terribly healthy either. Um, And so I was always just getting coughs and colds and infections. And every time I go to the doctor, they prescribe me the exact same antibiotic. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, So it's like, no matter what I've got, I kind of get this same antibiotic and and I keep doing it over and over again. Um, That's interesting. You know, that doesn't quite make sense to me. Maybe there's a different way of doing this. And so I sort of got really curious about, you know, different approaches to health and, and just started like learning and researching. And so um, I did actually have three second cousins who were chiropractors. They were slightly older than me. And so they babysat me when I was little. Um, And I don't think they actually taught me anything about chiropractic, but they were probably the only reason I knew that chiropractors existed. (laughs) Oh, there's a thing called chiropractic. That's interesting. Yeah. and then I can literally, I can remember sitting down in about year 10 um, and, you know, they gave us the job guide. I don't remember the job guide, that like massive fat book. Oh, gosh. I completely forgot that thing existed. Yeah. yeah. So there was the job guide and I sat down and read every single job in the job guide because I was just that kind of kid. Like, I'm like, well, if I'm going to make this massive decision about the rest of my life, I want to know everything. And yeah. so I went through the entire job guide and I literally just circled anything I was remotely interested in um, and then started trying to learn more about each of them. And, and the more I read about chiropractic and kind of this whole holistic philosophy that, you know, the power that made the body heals the body and that there's this thing called innate intelligence and that, you know, your body actually knows how to heal if you just give it what it needs and remove what it doesn't. I was just like, that makes so much sense. That make, you know, Everything I read, I was like, that makes so much sense. And, uh, and so I got inspired. So I, I kind of became the backwards way to becoming a chiropractor. Like it seems like most chiropractors have a story of, you know, ill health or illness or injury that led them to a chiropractor and had this kind of, you know, miraculous result that led them to want to find out more. I almost came the other way from, you know, I almost knew more about chiropractic than anyone before I even had seen a chiropractor. And then was like, okay, well now I want to try it and see what happens. And, and I started seeing a chiropractor and I got some good results and, and felt a lot healthier as a result. And so I thought, well, yeah, I, th- I think this is a path for me. And, and I was, I think, naturally a little bit like left field. Like I liked the idea of doing something different. I kind of liked the idea of doing something that might push other people's buttons or other people might think was weird. And, and I think heaps of chiropractors are like that. Like if you sort of get a bunch of chiropractors in a room, they're just really funny people who are just a little bit left of center and, and like to, you know, be a bit cheeky and like to have a laugh and um, like to look at things from different perspectives, which make for some great conversations. And, um, and so I think that was a big part of it as well was, you know, I can remember um, like definitely getting some real disapproval from one of my aunties who was just horrified that because, you know, I was always a good student. I always did well at school and she was horrified that I wasn't going to become a medical doctor because she was just like, but you know, you could be a medical doctor. I'm like, Oh no, (laughs) but she was just, you know, she couldn't understand it. And I think part of me kind of liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never been one to do things because other people felt that that was what I needed to do. <laughs> run my own show as well. Yeah. Um, and I think you've got to honour that if you're that type of a person. Otherwise, you end up just feeling a bit sort of. Well, the cool little dry. ending to that story is that um, I got married last year um, mm. and my auntie was at my wedding and, and in a slightly inebriated moment at the end of the wedding, she sort of sauntered across and sat down next to me and was like, do you know that stuff I said about you becoming a chiropractor? Like I was wrong. Like I've discovered all these alternative therapies and I'm into change my diet and I've done all this stuff and I can't believe I was so ignorant all this time. And I've really discovered this whole other world. And it was just the funniest conversation. It was really cool. So good. So good. I love that. Um, and I, you know, how great is it that people can actually just go, you know what, I think I got that a bit wrong and actually admit that we need a heck of a lot more of that. In Absolutely. This world. I think alcohol helped, but that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to ask, um, 
obviously, you know, what we're talking about in part is a, a lot of your personal journey today yep. uh, because you have a wonderful new book that's just come out called Rock Bottom and we've popped that in the show notes uh, for anyone who's curious to grab themselves a copy. It's um, self-published and it's the year of COVID. So authors really appreciate people buying books. Absolutely. Uh, old school. And, um, <laughs> and, and so what obviously has driven you to write a book like Rock Bottom? I mean, you don't need to give away all the secrets and everything you <laughs> cover in the book because that would be a bit boring, but obviously something pretty massive would have driven you to write a book like that. Um, yeah. So let's, let's. Yeah. I mean, I guess by nature, I've always been a little bit of an open book. Mm. And so, um, you know, being a podcaster and having an opportunity to talk about, you know, everything that's been going on in my life over the last kind of decade, um, it just felt very natural to sort of think, well, you know, that you need to share something of yourself and, and share your wins and your losses so that people can, I guess, learn from that and grow from that and, and get something out of that, hopefully. Um, which in many ways, I think, you know, is a selfish thing because it makes you feel a bit more um, like there was more of a reason for everything you went through. Yeah. Um, but, oh, well, but, I think that can be part of a healing process. If yeah, you absolutely. If others through your own difficulty, then exactly. I'm, I'm not saying it's worth it, um, but no, at the same is. time, it, it adds value to the experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I do look back on it all and think it was worth it. So um, I would actually agree with the first statement. But um, yeah, and so then for me, having uh, been through uh, divorce and separation and, you know, all the all the things that sort of come with that, like, you know, child custody issues and, um, you know, my personal stress and relationship stress and work, you know, career stress, you know, as all of that kind of unravels all at once, you know, um, that, that was a big journey for me. You know, I felt that, um, you know, a lot, I lost a lot of myself in that process for a period of time and lost a lot of my purpose for a period of time. Uh, and so, you know, I felt like that was something that, um, you know, that I sort of managed to work my way through. Um, and it became something that people tended to ask me about a lot. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, was very fortunate that I was surrounded by lots of amazing people um, and surrounded by lots of amazing resources. You know, as someone who, as I said, had always been so incredibly curious, you know, I'd read so many books. I'd, I'd delved into so much personal development. You know, I'd done so many courses and webinars and, you know, all of that sort of stuff, as I'm sure you're exactly the same as me, Alex. And so, you know, in many ways, I felt very fortunate that I had so many tools to help me along the way. And and I talk about in the book how, you know, in some ways that was a curse as much as a blessing because it meant that I sort of jumped in with both feet and started doing all this really, really heavy work really, really soon, um, which is, you know, uh, not always exactly the way I would recommend doing yeah. it. Sometimes you need to just cry in fetal position on a bed for three days. <laughs> exactly. And that's 100% exactly. okay. So, you know, part of that journey for me was learning to be kinder to myself and to allow myself to sort of have that that healing phase and to go through those different phases. Um, but as well as that, it did, I think, allow me to, you know, bounce back and, and get back on track. And, and that was what people tended to be asking me about. And, uh, you know, I, I found that a really pivotal moment for me was actually when I, for the first time, spoke about this at one of our wellness summits. So, um, you know, as you know, that my podcast. When you say, Couch, sorry, Brett, when you say spoke about this, what are you talking yes. about? Uh, so as in the, the whole, my whole journey, yeah, getting divorced essentially mm, okay. is the, the short uh, answer. Um, yeah. And the long answer is, you know, everything that goes with that, I guess. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize it was um, such a big deal uh, to talk about it, you know, because for me, it was, as I said, it was, it was something that had happened that I'd gone through um, and I'd worked through. And, and to me, it was, um, I don't want to say normal because actually it seemed really abnormal at the time. Like I think, uh, you know, you always hear statistics around divorce and, you know, as a married person, you hear those statistics and you don't think anything of them. You think, oh, those are surprisingly high numbers, but you know, that happens to other people. That wouldn't happen to me, you know? And, um, and, and so when it actually does happen to you, you're kind of just left shocked. Like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, and, and you feel like you're, all of a sudden the only person it's happened to, even though you know that that's not true either. Mm. Um, so, and, and so can I just stop you there? So um, you have this way of speaking right now that's really light and you're laughing a lot. I'm sure that that was not a funny, fun time. No. Um, so when you make the decision to uh, separate, um, how... Uh, 
how was your experience of that? And how in those first few days, like literally right then, did you choose to navigate things or did you feel like you had any power or choice yeah. at that time? Maybe you didn't. Good question. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I didn't choose um, and it came, it was sort of thrust upon me very suddenly. Uh, so, you know, literally I came home one night, I'd actually come home from uh, playing indoor cricket with my mates. My mates and I have an indoor cricket team. We've been playing together in for about 20 years and we'd won the grand final that night. And so I was on a bit of a high, I've come home, I'm all excited. And my wife was sitting on the end of the bed and she said, Brett, we need to talk. And I thought, oh shit, that's not that's good. Never good. Um, yeah. That's never good. That's never a good thing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and she just sort of said, well, look, I'm, I'm done. And I was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. And you like, didn't it just... feel any hint of this coming before then? No. Wow. No. So, um, yeah, I, I had no idea that it was coming. Um, I sort of later found out she'd been thinking about it for, you know, at least six months, probably longer. And, um, but I, I was totally blindsided. So, um, you know, within three days, she'd asked me to move out of the house. Uh, within three weeks, I'd found my own place. Um, and so it was just this like really sudden, quick, huge change. And um, yeah, no, it was a very dark place. Like I felt like a total failure. Um, you know, having, um, you know, I'd always wanted to have a family, you know, I'd always wanted to have, um, that life. I'd always wanted to be, uh, a really good dad, you know, and provide for my kids and, and create just the best environment possible for my kids. Like a, a massive part of my drive of doing everything I did in health and wellness was around creating a wonderful environment for my kids and creating an environment where my kids could thrive. And so that was, that was kind of my whole being, like that was who I saw myself as. Um, and I felt like that rug was just completely pulled out from under me. And so um, I really did just lose my sense of purpose. You know, I, I didn't know how to be a parent anymore. Like I didn't know if I could, I, I felt like a failure as a dad, definitely as a parent. Um, but also I didn't know how to be a, you know, a podcaster or a speaker or a chiropractor or, you know, any of those things, because, because my whole kind of why for doing those things was all around creating a healthier society for my kids to grow up in and creating a healthy environment for my kids to grow up in and, and, and providing so did, for my kids. So did you feel at that time then that you had failed in your immediate part in that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in all aspects. Um, so, and so did that bring uh, you know, like, um, a sense of shame around, you know, like that way. I remember when I had mold illness, for example, at its worst and, um, and it was a, a year of searching everywhere to try and find out what this thing was called and, you know, unpack it. And I remember running, you know, these Golo Tox courses. Yeah. Let's, you know, we'll start to feel better about reducing our environmental toxins. And I felt like a complete fraud because I couldn't figure out my own story at that time. And so I just decided to come completely clean um, with my community. I'm not sure uh, how it played out for you, but I think it's really interesting when people who help people in life live their best life, then have adverse events happen in their own lives. We need to hold space for the fact that that's actually just life. And we're all allowed to have these moments where, and times and periods in time where things just aren't perfect for us. Um, yeah, I absolutely. And I felt the same. I felt it was really important to talk about that and to be honest about that. Like a big thing I've always spoken about is honesty. And I think honesty and communication are just so crucial. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was like, well, if I'm going to keep doing all this stuff, then I have to be honest, you know? So I think I spoke about it relatively early on in the piece. Um, and probably, um, you know, before I'd done a lot of my healing um, and, and there was, a, you know, a large degree of the, all those things you mentioned, like guilt and shame and, um, yeah, you know, I, I felt like I'd just totally let everyone down. Um, and so that was, you know, that was really challenging. Um, but at the same time, there was, there was sort of that realization that it was a healthy for me to talk about it. Um, and B, you know, that eventually in some way it would be helpful for other people for me to talk about it. Um, and as much as anything, like I'm just a crap liar, you know, so like getting on a podcast every single week and having to talk about what's going on in the world and what's going on in your life. And there's no way I could have done it without just coming out and saying, look, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. So, um, you know, I think, 
I wasn't sure how to do that at first because, you know, you're kind of worried about, well, is that then going to impact on your relationship and how do you do that in a respectful way? And, you know, when you are feeling like angry or bitter or resentful or all those sort of emotions that you go through, um, you know, how do you communicate in a way that that doesn't come across? Um, you know, which, you know, not saying you shouldn't ever express any of those things, but, you know, doing it in a public uh, forum is not necessarily healthiest for you or for your family. Um, and so, yeah, it was, but I definitely started speaking about it pretty early on in the piece. Yeah, cool. And so let's talk about, um, because I'm interested, I don't often get to talk to guys about this, which is the self-love piece. And I'm always interested to see how men process uh these sorts of massive life events because we often don't hear their stories as much because men don't talk about it as much. Um, you know, getting guys to talk to each other even about their problems is sometimes really hard. Um, it's very confronting. And so then to actually have to work through things to remind yourself to love yourself even when you feel like this big fat failure in life and, you know, obviously you weren't good enough because she left you and all these horrific things that you would have had going through your mind, no doubt. Uh, how did you find self-love and how do you think men can do a better job at connecting to that in a really like soft way, like be kind yeah. to ourselves? Yeah, well, those are probably two very different answers in terms of how I do it and how men could do it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but um, you know, for me, it was, I think, um, you know, as I think many men do, uh, is kind of learning through failure. <laughs> like we do it the wrong way and we keep mm -hmm. doing it the wrong way. Until That's why just... you guys don't use instruction books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and until it just, you know, collapses you to a heap and becomes such an abject failure that we're like, okay, maybe now I need to think about doing something different. Like, I mean, as a chiropractor, I see this all the time. Like the guys, you know, the women will come in early. Like, you know, something's just been niggling me. It's not quite right. I feel like I should do something about it. You know, but they try and get their husband to come in for like a decade, but it's not until he bends over and literally can't stand up again that he thinks, hey, maybe I should look at my back, you know? Um, and so, you know, in my very masculine way, I sort of went, well, okay, this is a problem. You know, I've got all these tools. I've done all this personal development. I've got, you know, thousands of books and audios and all this sort of stuff. I, this is just a problem and I need to fix it, you know? And so I went into that very kind of masculine pattern fix of wanting mode. to try and fix it and, and delve into it and figure out every single thing that I did wrong and why I did it wrong and how I did it wrong and, and how can I you know, make sure that that never happens again and, and do it better and, and be, you know, in many ways be perfect, you know? Um, and so that's what I did. So can I ask, what did you reach for first? What book, what, what, yeah. uh, so, leader? so the first book, someone gave me a book and it was called, um, the dark side of the light chasers. And it was like all about how, you know, when we try and be positive, you know, all this work that I'd done around, you know, positivity and mindset and health and wellness and um, how sometimes that can be us kind of avoiding ourselves. Um, and so, uh, it, and, and it was, it just, it went really deep, really quick. And I, I wouldn't suggest it to anyone else as a first step uh, <laughs> because what I did was I just, I read it and I took it all in and I just took full responsibility for everything that had happened in the relationship, took full blame for everything that had gone wrong in the relationship and just beat myself up, you know, and really, really badly beat myself up about everything I'd done and everything that had gone on and, um, and got to a really dark place. And so that was, the thing that made me realize that I had to start focusing on self-love was that literally I just beat myself up so badly that it was just falling apart. You know, I was in such a state. Like I, I posted a picture just the other day on Instagram of me at that time speak, public speaking. And I was so gaunt and so thin because I was so stressed. Um, and that was the sort of tipping point um, as well as some input some, with some friends, which I can go into in a bit if you like, but to say, do you know what? This is just not working. Like I'm falling apart. Every aspect of my life is falling apart. Um, I have to find a better way of doing this before I literally just, you know, get to a point where I can't bounce back from. Mm. And like, it's so interesting, isn't it? How we have a default position of trying to think about everything we did wrong when we're a carer type yes um and you know it must have been me it must have been something that i didn't do enough of 
Exactly. Uh, I'm curious to know, given you're a chiropractor, what were, other than the dramatic um, weight loss and feeling gaunt looking, yep. um, did you notice any physical manifestations of holding on to that negativity around yourself? It's um, oh, a good question. I, I mean, definitely, yeah. Obviously, the weight loss was really obvious. Uh, my energy was definitely very low. Um, my moods were... Um, definitely like really dark, you know, like I would just have times where I would just have to go shut myself in a dark room kind of thing. Like I was just, you know, I just would be so overwhelmed by everything. And so just burnt out by everything um, that I, that I just had to sort of just retreat and try and recover. Like I can literally remember like adjusting people in practice and then having to just go back into my back room and just sit by myself and try and almost recover so that I could be ready to actually speak to the next person. Um, so, so that was, I guess, kind of the physical manifestations of it. I mean, the, the interesting thing was that like part of, uh, you know, the, the place I went to was I was almost like, even stricter in terms of my exercise and my diet and like, um, you know, almost to the point of like getting a little bit obsessive, I think about those things um, during that time. So in many ways, I guess physical health was, you know, in some ways quite good, um, but definitely mental health was, you know, in a really dark place. Did you feel like those areas were about you being able to control something? Maybe sometimes those are the things that help give you a glimmer of hope, right? It's like, ah, this is something I can focus on and get right, right now. So I'm going to start. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's just mm. literally just something I can do and something I can control and something I can feel like I'm succeeding at. Yeah. And I think that's where it was. We all need to remember that, hey, in our worst times, there's always something you feel like you can feel agency about. Always. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same time, I think it's really important not to obsess about those things as well, you know, because that can become a really unhealthy obsession if you let it as well. And, and I do think that it was probably, you know, in hindsight was probably bordering on that for me that I was just really, you know, leaning on that so much as a crutch um, because everything else was falling apart that, that it became, you know, bordering on obsessive, just, you know, wanting to do all that perfectly. Um, you know, fortunately for me, it was, it was, you know, that period was pretty short lived, uh, but it does give you a bit of a glimpse into, um, I guess, you know, the, the challenges many people go through. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you think, because you, you mentioned that you, you felt that there was one answer for you and one answer for how men can do it more generally. Yes. Um, I'm keen to know your thoughts on that because you, you write a book like this, you go through an experience like this, you've no doubt connected with your mates over this yes. um, and your patients probably more deeply now that you've got that compassion for people going through these yeah. separations or, or hard times um, as families. Um, yeah. So how did it, um, how, how would you recommend men do better? Yeah, the, well, exactly um, what you said, like what I developed as a result of that journey, I think was so much more compassion and understanding. Like, you know, I, in many ways I look back at all of the advice I ever gave before that time and just kind of think, God, how naive was I? Like, like I really, I didn't get it. Like I knew all of the tools, uh, but I just didn't have the same depth of understanding that I, I sort of had after going through that process. Um, and I think that compassion and that kindness is really the key, you know, yeah. is the ability to be compassionate and kind and understanding to yourself, you know, mm. because it's very easy to do that for other people and to look at their story and see how they ended up in that situation. And that, do you know what, it's actually not a hundred percent your fault. You know, every relationship is 50, 50, you know, you, you get to take responsibility for half of that, but the other person takes responsibility for half of that too. And, um, mm. you know, I, I think that is really the key. Like if that was the one thing, well, actually, no, there'd be two things. There'd be, if the two things I could say, especially to guys, but really to anybody uh, who ever sort of feels like they, they have or might go through this sort of situation, you know, one is be kinder to yourself. Um, and two is to do it proactively. Like don't wait until the, you know, what hits the fan before deciding to be kinder to yourself and to do, you know, your self love and your self care and, and your connection to your purpose and, and, you know, finding your tribe and all those things that are really, really important in terms of building your resilience and, and overcoming and working through those challenges. You don't have to wait until the massive challenge comes along to start 
uh, working on those tools and looking after yourself in that way. Mm, such great advice. And uh, can I ask you, only because this has come up quite a bit in the low tox community over the years, uh, how can women best support their partners who are men? Because some women have women partners, but yes, the ones who have the male partners, yep. I have heard many, many times that the men will be much less likely to do positive things when the poop yes. is the fan um, yes. and, or when, you know, when there's a job loss, yep. the, the drinking can sometimes go up um, yep. or maybe they notice a bit more gambling or, um, and like the things that women tend to do, but okay, oh my gosh, now I need my network with me. And they call yeah. all the girls and everybody talks about it five different ways, sideways, you know, yeah. analyzing everything, loving on each other, making sure everyone's supported. Um, and I feel like men need some more support in actually learning how to build those networks um, and feel comfortable asking for that network. Um, was that something you felt uncomfortable about or because you're a Cairo and you had a really great network of open communication with lots of people over the years, you actually found that easier? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I did have a great network. I was very, very blessed. Um, probably the two strongest supporters I had during that time were both female. Um, wow. We both checked in on me really regularly and mm. just would like message me and, you know, how are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Stop beating yourself up. You know, all of those sort of things. So That's good. Um, so I guess that there's a good point there. It doesn't need to be fellow guys. No, just needs no, to be it's probably network. better if it's not, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Like guys don't generally like talking to other guys about that kind of stuff um, and, and often don't need to talk to other guys about that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think for guys, it's really useful. And, and when I say guys, like we're talking like masculine personalities as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, guys will generally have masculine personalities around them who they just can lean on, you know, and so that looks really different, you know, like that just means like we go to the pub and we watch the footy together and we mm. don't talk about anything. Mm. <laughs> like, like we go yeah. to the gym and we work out together and we don't talk about anything. Yeah. And that's totally fine, you know, because we know that if we try and help our mate and say, yeah, how can I help you? What can I do for you? Here's a book you should read. Here's an activity you should do. Here's a, he's going to, that's going to make him feel worse. Right. Because what you're saying to him is you're not good enough to figure it out for yourself. And it's a very masculine way of thinking about things. Right. But what it's not what you're saying, what they hear is you're not good enough to figure this out for yourself. I'm going to have to fix it for you because you're a failure. Right. Like this is what these men are hearing when these women say it. Right. Yeah. And so you can't say that. You can't say that to you guys. So what they need is not for you to tell them um, what to do. They, they, they don't want to hear anything from you about solutions at all. Mm. I'm <laughs> um, so glad I asked this question. See? What, they, what they want is they want you Gold to be, be there for them. You know, mm. is it, they just want to know you're there. They don't care what you say. It doesn't matter what you say. It just means that they know that you're there and that when they're ready, and this is the key, when they're ready, you're going to listen. Mm. And, and that's crucial. And that is so often where we get it wrong. Um, and when you listen, what you've got to do is you've got to help them get what they want rather than telling them what you want for them. Mm. Um, and, and once again, this is where we fall, fall down so often. Is because I we, feel like you need to repeat that, Brett, slowly. <laughs> Go, say yeah. it again. I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but, but what, you, what you need is, is to show them that you're there for them and that you can help them get what they want, mm. not what you want, right? So it's about figuring out where they're at, meeting them where they're at. Or right? what you think they need. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. But you've got to listen, like listen and listen. And when you stop listening, then just be silent for a while and wait for them to keep talking because I guarantee you they will. Like this is in a relationship, for a girl in a relationship, the best thing you can do is when he stops talking, don't say anything for like a minute and then see what he says next. And the mm -hmm. thing that he says next is like the thing. Right? Mm -hmm. Like pay yeah. attention to that next thing. It's like thing. a bit of onion needed peeling back yeah, and then we get to the core That's the important one, right? Yeah. So, because he just wants to know that you're there and you're listening. And, and if you can show him that you're there and you're listening, and then when he says something, you really take it on board and, and, you, and you work on helping him get what he wants mm -hmm. um, and ask lots of questions. Um, but, but only ask questions relevant to what he's saying he needs. You know, don't just be asking random questions constantly because yeah. you hate that. Um, but, you know, would it be okay if I shared with you a resource? You know, I, I read this actually book that 
you know, what you're saying you want is this. I actually read this book that might help. Yeah. Would you be interested if I could get it for you? Yeah. So you're not like, here's a book you need to read it. This yeah, is yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you know, would, would you be interested in this resource? And if it says no, then just drop it. Like there's absolutely no point trying to shove it down his throat. Mm. And all you're going to get is the exact opposite result to the one you're looking for. Mm. Such good insight. Thank you. But I think it's um, the same for everybody. Like if you, yeah. no matter what, whether it's male, female, kids, everyone, if you can help them get what they want, um, that's the key. You know, find out what their why is and show them, you know, surround them with options that can help them get towards their why and then let them figure out which one's right for them. Yeah, be their cheerleader along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh, gosh. Okay. So you go through your dark time, you choose your resources, you start to turn things around inside. How do you go from dark to light? Yeah, so it it started, you know, once you've sort of got that... Okay, the first thing is, as I said, that self-love, like you have to feel like you're worth it. Mm. Um, and so once you get to that stage where you start to feel like you were, you're worth it, then the next stop, step for me was looking after myself better and being kinder to myself. Mm-hmm. And so I can remember one of the exercises I actually went through, which is kind of funny in hindsight, was I sat down and I sort of, I was feeling a bit miserable about myself and missing out on you know, all these things that you sort of get when you're in a relationship. And yeah. so I wrote this list of all the things that I was craving And what I realized was, I was like, well, if I go into another relationship or just into the rest of my life, craving these things so badly, Mm. then that's just a recipe for disaster. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. That's not going to work well. And so I wrote down this list of all these things I was craving and then actually consciously wrote down solutions of how I could provide that for myself. And so it was all these funny things that I had on my list. Like, like I was just missing cuddles. Yeah. And so I bought my, this is so embarrassing to say it, but I bought myself one of those big, long, um, oh, the pillow. Pillows, you know, yeah, the big yeah, round yeah. pillows. I had one when I was pregnant. That yeah, thing I, is I bought the myself best one of those. So this big world. cuddly pillow, and I'd cuddle <laughs> up to that, and, and it just made me feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. And I was like, well, I miss going to the movies. So I just went to the movies by myself. Mm. Um, I was like, I miss going out dancing. So I went out dancing by myself, totally by myself, just went to a nightclub and just danced all night till about four in the morning and had a ball, you know. And, and so, um, you know, I, I went and got massages. So I had like that kind of physical connection that I was craving, and mm. in a totally non-creepy way because it kind of makes it sound weird but um <laughs> I don't know what you mean absolutely everyone deserves human touch yeah yeah and, and so I sort of started that was kind of the start of it with me it was just sort of and as much as anything that was such a great reinforcement of that self-love it was mm. like kind of like now that I feel like I'm worth it but now I'm actually showing myself that I'm worth it and I'm actually consciously doing the things for myself to to really sort of reinforce that and that was really powerful um and then I think the next step for me was really reconnecting to my why which was a really fascinating process for me of, of understanding that all of those things that i wanted previously were still totally relevant um and that i just needed to reframe them a little bit like you know it was kind of like okay well if i wanted to change the world to make a healthier environment for my kids well now that i'm only seeing my kids 50 percent of the time then the environment that they grow up in is suddenly even more important. So it's like twice as important for me to have an impact on the world around them because that's going to be their teacher when I'm not there, you know, like that's going to be what they grow up in. And, um, you know, and then the, the idea that I could, and it took me embarrassingly long time to come around to the idea that I could still be a good dad despite being divorced. Mm. Um, you know, it, it was just, it was such a foreign concept to me. And, and it's embarrassing to say in many ways, because I, I feel horrible for how I must have subconsciously come across to all the other dads out there in that same situation. Like mm. there's just this, whether you realize it or not, there was this subconscious thinking in my mind around what that meant. Um, and you don't realize it, I think really until you get yourself in that position and then you, you feel it from the world around you, just this kind of, um, they just think differently of you as a parent. Absolutely. And, um, some of that I think is, you know, self implied, like it's in, you know, the, some of that was just totally in my own head, Yeah, Uh, others of it was definitely not either. Um, and so it took me a long time to realize that I could still be an amazing dad, uh, and I and it really came back to kind of controlling what I can control, you know. And and once I realised, I'm like, okay, well, this is the stuff I can't control, but this is the stuff I can. Uh, and and you know, my job now is just you know, like for that 50% of the time I've got my kids, I'm just going to be the best bloody dad there is. Hmm. And 
that one thought, I think just changed my whole world. Like it was just like, all of a sudden it was like this light bulb went off and it was like, Oh, okay. Now I know what my job is, you know? Yeah. And, and it was kind of just this total reframe um, that allowed me to really regain that connection to my purpose. Uh, and it changed everything. It changed my relationships. It changed, it actually improved all of my relationships. Interesting. Like with my family, with my parents, with my friends, with like, you know, it was like, it's amazing how when you heal in one area, it can just blow out and affect so many others. Mm. Um, but that, that reconnection with purpose was just huge. Yeah. Massive. And it sounds like just hearing you talk, the piece that was the most important was you showing yourself you were deserving of your own love before, you know, heading out to the world. And how many of us, you don't have to be a man to know this one. Everyone goes through this sense of shame and guilt around who they are, not filling their own cup up, not loving themselves. Um, There's plenty of outward influence that tries to make us feel like we're not enough day in, day out, or we're wrong because everyone's trying to be right these days. Guilty for wanting to actually look after ourselves. You know, Mm. I think as parents that comes in a lot, especially I think for mums, but for dads as well, that, that guilt and shame of, Oh, you know, I, I shouldn't be looking after myself. I shouldn't be filling up my own cup first. Mm. When in reality, that is absolutely what you need to do if you want to look after everyone else. It's the best thing you can do for everyone else around you. Yeah, it really is. And my husband taught me that. He is so good at just switching off and doing his thing yeah. when it's when you know when he decides it's it's time to do his thing. And like he would never do it in a way that would put me in out or yeah anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, but he is just a ninja at it. Whereas I really have to consciously carve it out and make sure and check in because I will do all the things that need doing for everyone else before I do my thing. And, um, and so, you know, he's almost been a mentor to me in that way to really step up on the look after yourself front and do what you need to do to feel relax which is which and, is so unfair on everyone else because then mm. they're getting such a lesser version of you because yeah of it, you know what I mean? like it's like exactly it, it's the total opposite of what we think like we yeah. think it's selfish to look after ourselves but actually yeah. that's the most giving thing we can do exactly yeah. um yeah really interesting so uh i, I want to ask a more general question about climbing back from personal challenges and i know we've obviously talked about it quite a bit Um, but uh, we often have expectations of how things have to be at certain points in our life. And I reckon, not that I've personally experienced it, but I reckon getting a divorce is just not something anyone would really (laughs) choose to have in their life plan. Um, And then there are other things like health events, all sorts of things that can just roadblock us, you know, sideswipe us and make us realise that, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. How do we navigate that in a way that we actually just start to accept that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're spot on. Like, you know, my whole life was, I just wanted to have, you know, the wife and the house and the two kids and the picket fence. And like, that was, I'd been, you know, probably unusually for a guy. I think that'd be my dream from really young. Um, And and so it was never in the plan, you know, it just was, um, you know, I think one of the quotes I share in the book is, is, you know, Mike Tyson saying, everyone has a plan until you punch him in the face, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. until you get punched in the face, I think it is. And and that was so true. Like like, this whole world mapped out ahead of me. And, but this is, I think why resilience has become such an important topic for me. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's been something that I've been just almost obsessively wanting to learn about and know more about and and a conversation that I have a lot with people now, you know, I do group mentoring all around resilience now because, because that's often, that's really what it comes back to now for me. And resilience to me is all about, you know, I think resilience used to be when we talked about resilience, it was the ability to get through stuff, Mm. um, the ability to survive stuff. And so it was kind of like this idea that you either survive or you don't survive. And that's, you know, resilience is when you survive. Um, And I think the framing around resilience now has changed a lot. Um, where now when we talk about resilience, what we're talking about is actually thriving through stuff. Mm. And so, um, you know, I can wholeheartedly look back at my divorce now and say, do you know what? And, and you, you mentioned me sort of joking about it and smiling about it before. Mm. And a large reason for that is that I can wholeheartedly look back at it now and say, I'm actually really glad it happened. Yeah. Um, 
and so the lessons I learned from that and the growth I got from that and the opportunities that came from that for me to learn and to grow, but also now to share that with other people and to see the changes that that can kind of ripple out into the world as well. Um, I, I'm really grateful for it, you know. Mm. It's and funny so how retrospect is can the give us that. frame that we need to have in that regard is that it's actually, you know, as, as much as it never seems like it at the time and never say this to someone when they're right in the middle of it because oh they my God, no, punch no. you in no. the face. Yeah. <laughs> but, but really the reality is uh, there's, you know, soft ways you can say it that are actually quite useful. But, um, yeah, it's all about how you say it, I think. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, you can learn and grow and thrive through these challenges and they can be you know, net positives in your life mm. um, if you choose to see it that way and if you do do the work to build up your resilience and to be able to reframe those events and grow from those events and take action as a result of those events. Absolutely. And I think something that has made us a lot less resilient, and I remember hearing Zach Bush talk about this really eloquently. I don't think I'm going to be quite so eloquent, but um, the fact that we don't go to war physically anymore, the fact that yep. we don't have to defend our land and territory from freak storms as much, you know, we, we tend to be very comfortable yeah. Um, quite easily, you know, if you would go off that societal checklist like you were talking and, about wanting. But even even more um, than that, I think, is just day-to-day -day life. Like, growing up as kids now, um, you know, many kids are not allowed to climb a tree because yeah, that might 100%. be too dangerous. They're not allowed to walk 100%. down the street to the park because that might be too dangerous. Mm. Uh, they're not allowed to play a game of sport where one team wins and one team loses because that might negatively impact on their mental... <laughs> you know, they're, they're not actually given opportunities to succeed and fail and to learn how to deal with that. Um, you know, so many parents are just so obsessed with making sure that their kids don't have any negative experiences that they're actually denying them the ability to develop their resilience as they grow up. Um, <laughs> And, and so I think it's much more than just war. It's just day-to-day -day life. I think we, as an older generation of parents and grandparents, um, are in such a state of fear um, that, that we're actually pushing that onto our kids and, and denying them opportunities. Mm, absolutely. And uh, I was going to say all of that. <laughs> so it was like the big stuff, which is what yeah. like keeps the people moving forward in, in a way that we are strong and we always trust that everything is going to work out in the end, no matter how bad things get. I feel like now there's a lot less trust. And when things get bad, we fall apart more easily. We've lost flexibility. Yeah. Um, and we've lost resilience in that flexibility um, lack. And, uh, and I think that is it's so great that you've focused on that now in your work um, because we need a heck of a lot more of it. And, uh, and I'm curious to, say, to ask then, as a dad, yeah. uh, how do you build that resilience in your kids? What kind of an area do you guys live in and how do you... <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So we live in the Adelaide Hills, mm -hmm. um, and so we have about an acre of land, um, yeah. and and uh, that resilience is built by allowing them. Uh, I I talk about kind of like safe risks, mm. you know. So so I like to I like to allow them to take risks in a controlled environment, you know. So yeah, they'll climb the tree in the front yard, and they'll learn where their limitations are. You know, like they learn what happens, you know, if you fall, you know, you, they start climbing the, the smaller tree, you know, yeah. and, and they might fall out of it and, you know, they might break their arm, mm. you know, but they learn, they learn what happens if you climb and what happens if you fall um, and they learn that they can't fly. And yeah. so then they're not the kid who goes up on top of the roof and jumps off thinking they're Superman and, and you know, hurts themselves really badly, yeah. you know. Um, I give the kids the opportunity to use the axe or to use the chainsaw or to, you know, to, I mean, we work out together every Sunday, mm. you know, and so they have an opportunity then, you know, one of them always finishes before the other, you know, and so yeah. they learn that, hey, you know, he did better than me at that and, and I didn't do as well today or that was really hard and I thought I couldn't do it and then I had to get through it. Yeah. Um, and, and we just constantly 
give them opportunities to succeed and to fail and to take on challenges. Like, you know, we've just signed up for the True Grip, which is coming to Adelaide oh, cool. in, uh, awesome. you know, in a couple of months. And so they're going to get a chance to do with some obstacle courses. And, you know, some of them might get passed, some of them they might not, you know. But then we have really great conversations around it. Like I was just saying to someone the other day, one of my absolute highlights in this area is um, listening to my son, Tom, talk about himself learning to ride a bike. And how right? old because is he? As he was uh, he's now 11, so uh -huh. he's well past it. Mm. But when he was learning to ride a bike, he was really struggling. Like he took quite a long time to get the hang of it and, and had several experiences where he just said, that's it. I definitely can't do it. I'm never going to learn how to ride a bike, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we sat down and we talked about it and we talked about how, you know, everything in life takes time and, you know, you need to maintain a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset where you see your opportunity to work through these challenges and learn from these challenges and take it on board. And that, you know, this is going to be actually a good framework for you that you can use later. And, you know, we had all these conversations around this, but the cool thing about that now is that I hear Tom saying this to other people and he'll be like, well, it's like riding a bike. You know, when I was riding a bike, I thought I couldn't ride the bike, but mm. actually I realized that I just needed to keep practicing and I gradually got better. And, and so it's kind of, it's just this beautiful analogy and to hear him use it and to get it and to have that growth mindset and to apply that now to all other areas of his life. Like he's learning guitar at the moment and you can see that he's just, you know, he just loves the fact that he just keeps working and every day he gets better. And it's not about whether he can play the song now, but it's just about whether he's heading in the right direction. So, um, you know, I think that's the key with kids is give them the opportunity to, to show competence, you know, give them the opportunity to succeed and to fail and to see the benefit in the failure and, and to acknowledge their competence in the success, which, which builds up their resilience and allows them to see how they can conquer other things in the future. Absolutely. And I loved how you took it back to a time that he found challenging to help with a reframe on a current challenge is so important because kids don't have that through time ability. Uh, they're very in the moment. And so if you can help them go back and go, Oh, I did that hard thing and I got it, you know, exactly. I can do and enough if you hard do it thing. repeatedly, that's the key. Like you just keep, you know, those little conversations that you can have every single day. Like there's mm. just so many, if you just, you're present with your kids and mindful with your kids, there's so many little opportunities. And I think that's, one of the biggest things to remember with kids is that, you know, they don't have to learn a lesson today, you know, but, but, but you want them to learn the lesson sometime in the next like five or 10 years. That'd be nice. Yeah. And, and so it's okay <laughs> to let them fail, you know, and it's okay for them not to get it today and to see what happens when they don't get it today. You know what I mean? Like when yeah. we talk to the kids about eating certain foods, it's like, okay, eat it. Let's see what happens. You know, mm. <laughs> And then you have an opportunity to go, oh, that's interesting. Like I've noticed you're a bit tired and you're a bit grumpy and you're, you know, you're not functioning so well today. What do you know? You know, did you notice that? What do you think? What do you, why do you think that might be? Okay. That's interesting. And then, you know, you move on. And then next time it's like, oh, do you remember last time you did that? And, and this is how you felt. And you know, what do you want to do today? Mm. <laughs> but it's like, you, they don't have to get it now, but, but as long as they get it eventually, that's kind of your role as a parent. And that's where that, that time aspect I think is very important. Super important. Um, and uh, something I wanted to ask you there as well, not about kids necessarily, but um, about uh, control. So like resilience, for example, can help us feel strong and in control. But then sometimes we can want to feel in control too much. Uh, you alluded to it a little bit when you were talking about um, working on those really specific areas that you felt you had a handle on yeah. during the super dark See, time. I, I would, I'd flip that and say when you're truly resilient, you realise that you don't need to be in control and that's okay. You know, so, so when you really get to that actual true resilient state, is like, do you know what? And so I, I kind of liken this to, I think of this in terms of my fitness all the time, right? So I do CrossFit and I love CrossFit because you do really different stuff every single time. And you kind of, the whole point of CrossFit, if you ever watch the CrossFit games, it's like they have to be able to do, they don't get told what the activity is going to be until the day. And then they say, okay, this is your challenge today and you have to go and do it. And it might be riding a bike, it might be swimming, it might be climbing up a rope. It's like really varied stuff, you know? And, and that's the way I think about it in terms of my fitness. Like when I'm truly resilient in terms of fitness, you should be able to come up to me and the kids go, hey, dad, we're going on this 10K hike today. I'd like to do the whole thing on your shoulders. You know? and, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like I can do that, you know? And it's like, whatever, whatever the world throws at me, 
I know that I can work through it and I can grow through it and I can thrive through it. And that's real resilience is I don't need to control everything because everything's happening for a reason. I'm totally okay with it happening for a reason. Um, and I know that I'm capable enough to thrive through it no matter what the world throws at me. Um, mm. And I think that's true resilience. Yeah, 100% agree. Um, really glad you defined that uh, for us because um, a lot of people struggle there with with what that all means and and how, oh, my gosh, if I feel like I'm out of control, doesn't that mean I'm not resilient? And I've often found the exact opposite to be true. And sometimes the most resilient thing you can do is be kind to yourself. Like it's like something comes along and there's this big challenge there and you just go, do you know what? That's not for me today. I'm just going to have a quiet day. And I'm going to look after myself and stay at home and have a cup of tea instead of going to that party uh, because that's actually what I need today. Uh, and that's, re- that's resilience too, is the ability to say no and mm. the ability to look after yourself and, and do what's right for you, um, regardless of sort of everything that's going on around you. Um, because ultimately what's right for you, you know, is going to be, as I said, what's right for everybody. Um, and, you know, deep inside, I think when we are in that state of real self-love and resilience, then you're never going to do something that hurts someone else. You know, you're always going to do it with the best of intentions. And so you're not going to look after yourself, you know, well, it is a selfish, I was going to say not in a selfish way. It is selfish uh, and, and deliberately so, uh, but, you're, but you don't want to hurt other people. So when you're doing what you want for yourself, it's not going to be actions that are at least not deliberately hurting other people. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I get that. Um, Okay, so I'm just thinking through how on earth I wrap this conversation up. And I think one of the things that we were talking about before hitting record as um, we emailed was around miracles. And that made me feel like a really great question to ask someone who's been through a really dark patch. And, you know, most of us have by the time we're in our mid forties, I'm in my mid forties, you might be a bit younger, but um, you know, once you get there, (laughs) chances are the poop has hit the fan somehow, uh, either for you or someone in your direct family that has made for a hugely challenging time. And kind of coming back to that resilience piece, flexibility and, realizing we don't have to be in control all the time. Um, do you feel like all of those parts help us have a sense of hope through these um, big challenges that come up in life and, and a sense of, um, of this miraculous rebirthing that can happen and, and things getting even better than you imagine they might be before? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you develop that resilience and, and when you work on it, it does allow you to thrive through those challenges and come out the other side grateful for those challenges. Um, and so, you know, one of my favourite quotes has always been, um, I choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help me, you know, mm. and then that's been variously attributed to many different people, it seems. So I know, right? I never, yeah. I never have been able to figure out where that actually came from. <laughs> if any listeners, you know, have got a better idea than me, I, I seem to keep coming up with very different solutions. But but I just love that quote, you know, and I think that's the perspective. If you can take that sort of curious, flexible perspective with you through this whole process of developing resilience Um, but also I think the more you develop your resilience the more it reinforces that and and shows you that that is true Um, and so you know like I look at my life now and I'm you know I am really happily married I've my two kids I'm just so proud of them I have a third child now uh, who's six months old Um, I've got a lovely place in the hills that I just absolutely love where I live um, you know, I'm still doing my, my work in podcasting. Um, I've now gone on and studied nutrition. I'm currently studying counseling as well. And, you know, like there's just so many bits that have come together. You know, I'm now able to share everything I've learned through my book and through my group mentoring program um, that, that it really is, you know, you look back and you sort of, think, well, that is actually pretty miraculous. You know, that is pretty amazing. And, and it does turn out that, um, by choosing to believe that all those things were conspiring to help me, that they were all happening for a reason, um, whether that's true or not, and it, in my mind, it doesn't matter whether that's true or not, but, but when I choose to believe that, I've put myself into a growth mindset 
um, and it allows me to make that happen and to thrive through those. Uh, and when I choose, if I was to choose to believe the opposite, once again, I don't have any evidence either way. I can't say categorically which is right and which is wrong, but I can definitely categorically say that when I'm in that growth mindset, life goes better and I meet and thrive through those challenges better. And when I'm not, it, I get stuck and I end up in a really dark place. And so once again, whether it's true or not, I choose to believe that the universe is conspiring to help me. Mm. So I so agree. And I think Dr. Joe Dispenza puts it really well when he talks about um, the example of the person who gets fired from their job. And at that moment, you have a chance to rewrite your future, the, the future that you're not doing that job that you thought you were going to be doing for ages. And in that, you could interchange that with divorce, with chronic illness, acute illness, whatever, accidents, hoo-ha. Um, you could be the person five years later that friends see again because you all get together at Christmas and you're like, yeah, you know, I just, nothing's ever been the same since I lost that job five years ago. And, or you could be the person who says, so the strangest thing is, is that that ended up being this amazing turning point where, and then that, 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 that happened. And you've just described the perfect enactment of that in real life of someone actually doing that. Um, because these examples are all around us to be inspired yes. by. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing, I think, when you start looking around, you realise just how many people have been in that same situation and have thrived through it. Um, and, and there are examples of the opposite too. Um, and so, you know, these are opportunities for us to learn. And, and once again, you know, one of the, the best opportunities I think we've got now is for people to learn from my mistakes you know you don't actually have to wait until your shit hits the fan and try and go through it all on your own you, you can actually you know success leaves clues and, and you can see what other people have done that's worked for them and hopefully uh, either prevent yourself from getting in that same situation or help put yourself in a position so that you can thrive through it when it comes yeah. Wise words, Brett Hill. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. I'm very excited about your book. We've got the details of that and your mentoring in the show notes for anyone who wants to go check it out. And, uh, and I wish you all the best in launching it out to the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Super welcome. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's Stuart S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27, about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.